Trauma Therapist Podcast, episode 482. Are you ready to become the best version of yourself? Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support, and it is 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. No more worrying about finding the right provider or scheduling appointments. Cerebral brings it all to you whenever and wherever you need it. To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving you, the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners, 15% off your first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started by going to Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code the Trauma Therapist. That's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L dot com slash podcast. And don't forget to use the code the Trauma Therapist to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Please see site for details. All right, guys, welcome to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson. My mission is to raise awareness of trauma and to support new trauma therapists just starting out on their trauma-informed journey. I do that through this podcast and my membership community, Trauma Therapist 2.0. If you're a therapist of any kind interested in learning about trauma and you're looking for support and inspiration, I invite you to check out Trauma Therapist 2.0 by going to traumatherapist2.com. That's Trauma Therapist, the number two. Dot com. All right, let's get started. All right, folks, first, are you tired of spending countless hours buried under mountains of progress notes or clinical notes? It's time to focus on what truly matters, which is providing exceptional care to your clients. Introducing Text Expander, your ultimate solution to help you streamline documentation and boost your productivity. I've been using Text Expander for years, and it's one of the tools I use every single day. If you're a therapist, if you're a coach, any content or text you use on a regular basis in your progress notes, for example, your name, address, or even longer forms, paragraphs of notes, or sections of reports, you can create a shortcut for it. Text Expander automatically populates entire paragraphs of text, saving you valuable time and effort, and it allows you to get back to what truly matters your clients. Text Expander is offering the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners 20% off when you go to textexpander.com slash trauma. That's textexpander.com slash trauma. Well, thanks so much for listening. And I'm just super excited to announce that my new workshop is going to be starting up in about a week, podcasting for mental health professionals. If you're a therapist of any kind, if you're a coach, a counselor, a licensed social worker, and you are ready to start your own podcast, my workshop is definitely for you. I'm going to take you behind the scenes, share with you what I've done, how I bring guests on, and we're going to go over you know, how to come up with your own name, how to come up with your own topics, um, how I decide upon topics, the different ways to monetize, how to secure guests, and how to market if you're ready to do this, I'd love to help you with this. Uh, and you can head on over to mentalhealthpodcasters.com to learn more, get more information, uh, mentalhealthpodcasters.com. All right, see you there. This episode is sponsored by Somatic Experiencing. 
Trauma may be a fact of life, but it doesn't have to be a life sentence. Somatic experiencing is a psychobiological method of addressing clients' physical and emotional trauma conditions and helps to give voice to their experiences without a need for them to retell their story. SE focuses on regulation of the nervous system and offers the opportunity to engage, complete, and resolve the body's instinctual responses to traumatic experiences. For more information regarding somatic experiencing and the SE professional training program, the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners can visit traumahealing.org forward slash TTP. That's traumahealing.org forward slash TTP. All right, guys, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. Guy McPherson here, and I am very excited to have my guest today, Tracy Morgan. Tracy, welcome. Hi. Hi. Happy right. to be here. <laughs> Thank you. So Tracy is an occupational therapist with 15 years of experience practicing, practicing for the last 10 in early intervention in psychosis in the UK Midlands. Tracy's experienced fairly significant trauma herself. Now she works with young people experiencing first episode psychosis. And she found that after the neurological psychosis symptoms are, are in remission, uh, she's left with residual trauma voices, quote unquote, with which she uses uh, in the in the subsequent treatment, and we'll get to that. Um, now, Tracy, I'm really excited you're on because you know early psychosis has been one of my interests and specializations. And yep. actually, you're the first person that I've brought on specifically who focuses on that. Oh. And we know that there's a lot of uh, uh, correlation with trauma, um, but we'll we'll dive into that anyway. So. Thank you again for, for being here. Uh, share with the listeners where you're from and where you're calling from. And we'll dive in. Right. Well, I'm based in the UK, obviously. Um, and I'm in the Midlands, which is very close to Birmingham, sort of Nottingham, Leicester area. I'm sort of in Warwickshire, where Shakespeare's from. Um, I'm originally from Scotland. That's why I've got a strange accent. Um, but I've lived here for 27 years. Yes, 27 awesome. years. So, awesome. yes, that's where I'm at at the moment. So given the fact that, I mean, I want, I want to address this because it's front and center here. Given the fact that we're in the, 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 the heart of COVID-19 that's going on here, how is that impacting you and your area? Uh, we're, uh, it's, it's absolutely uh, mental health services have had to reconfigure everything that they're doing. Um, I'm currently off sick from work, not because of COVID, um, for a whole other reason. Um, but I was actually in a team meeting yesterday and um, everything's been reconfigured and it's been reconfigured on a daily basis. Um, we're trying to minimise um, face-to-face um, yeah. treatment with people unless it's an absolute emergency. Um, and, you know, we're doing everything. We're being really let's use this sort of thing let's use microsoft teams let's use skype let's use whatsapp and i'm thrilled about that because i've been trying to do it for the last 10 years mm-hmm. um so we're getting more in- innovative as as time goes on my concern is that first of all i think we're going to reduce the the feeling of illness of those who have had very severe anxiety mm-hmm. because the whole world suddenly is in the same boat. I don't know whether that's going to make us, as a society, more oh, um, compassionate towards that. Um, but unfortunately, I've got a lot of people saying to me, I'm so anxious. 
I'm, I'm relapsing, I'm becoming unwell. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're the same. Mm-hmm. You're the same. This is an illness. This is a worldwide feeling of we don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going to happen. And that uncertainty makes everyone anxious. So it's mm-hmm. a normalization of that. But obviously, this is going to be a massive huge amount of trauma for everyone because the loss we're going to have loss right right yeah that's a really good point about the the uh the mental health aspect globally and how that's what that's going to look like for for those of us who have mental health challenges um you know will people it is an opportunity certainly for many people to be compassionate about those of us who are experiencing mental health challenges absolutely so go ahead I'm sorry yeah the really interesting thing is that with staff and I mean at the moment I've actually put on the the UK healthcare um, Facebook page I actually put out a call saying I'm currently away from my workplace because of another illness Um, if anybody needs to talk that's working in healthcare that just needs to vent I've actually put myself out there and people are contacting me and it's just the the most basic things that people Mm. were not very good at containing anxiety and it's those little hints and tricks and things that we teach our patients how to manage their anxiety and their emotions suddenly it's like we're teaching everybody that which is an amazing opportunity but it's everybody kind of needs it (laughs) at the same time yeah so how did you get into uh this this topic of early psychosis I actually accidentally came into it because um, I was redeployed from inpatient. Um, I was the occupational therapist at an inpatient unit. I was the only occupational therapist. And they were closing um, that unit down and functionalizing. And they were basically centralizing mental health inpatient beds. Um, And I had choices of where I was being redeployed to. I was very, very blessed. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Um, 10 years ago for that to have happened and I chose I I didn't think I wanted to do it but I chose to go and work in early intervention and psychosis I thought I would hate it (laughs) but actually I'm still there and it's 10 Mm -hmm. years later (laughs) and it's amazing how how much you grow with the the research because it's very cutting edge even here it's it's you know we're right on the edge of what's being discovered so Let's let's kind of start with you kind of giving us a, a giving our listeners a snapshot of what an occupational therapist is because before I, you know I'd been working in a clinic for five years where we had a multidisciplinary team and there were occupational therapists before I got there I didn't know what the heck they were they did and really came to appreciate and value and really respect the the not only the job you folks do, but how vital it is for that population of people who are experiencing those symptoms. So what does an occupational therapist do? 
Right. Oh, I think the best way to do it. everything. Superheroes. No, we're not. Um, I, I have been known to say in a team meeting when a consultant has said, Tracy, can you do this patient? I'll say, you do realise I'm not Jesus. I have said that. Um, not that it's, it's one of those jokes. I, um, what I tend to do in the, in the role that I have now is that I will, I take a lead on vocation. I take a lead on getting people back to the workplace as quickly as possible um, negotiating using employment law um, to make sure that they're going back to a supported environment to actually make sure that their employers don't try and use um, constructive dismissal. Um, and, and, and we're getting great results from that. Most people are going back into the workplace, into their original workplaces, which is fantastic. Um, also, educational settings, making sure that because our age range is between 14 and sort of 35 and to retirement age. But I tend to sort of stick with the working age and to get them into education, make sure they're supported in further education, universities. And it's very much what can we do to adapt the real environments that these people are working in. I use sensory approaches. Um, uh, I'm really big on sensory, basically putting sensory sensory adaptations to a very normal environment. So I've had a young man who was behaving so bizarrely. He had a first episode psychosis and he was his behaviour was horrific. And Friday night, five past five, he would be up in A&E because he knew I wasn't around to catch it. He'd get himself admitted to the hospitals, they would rapidly tranquilize them. They were constantly restraining him. And I remember one Monday morning after I'd been on a course in Cardiff on sensory integration, and I went, oh, he's seeking containment with deep pressure. So we basically put dark curtains in his rooms. We gave him heavy, well, he bought a heavy duvet, like an mm -hmm. eiderdown, really mm -hmm. heavy. We started getting him to wear boxing compression vests, you know, for, that sports people wear. And he started to feel contained and the mm -hmm. deep pressure. It's things like that. It's finding those ways around mm -hmm. a normal environment to make it easier to reduce anxiety and stress and to make things easier so that people can do what they value and what they have to do to have right. quality of life. And that is... That is such a a crucial element, really, for for anyone. I mean, oftentimes when we're talking about trauma and PTSD in veterans, you know, there's yeah. a lot of talk about getting them back, um, uh, finding a purpose, right? Getting them back to what they've been doing. Because yeah. a lot of times with people who've been uh, experiencing early psychosis, even first episode, there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of uh, feelings of inadequacy because oftentimes you have to you're isolating yourself because you're so yeah. freaked out you don't want to go out and being able to get back just as you're saying being able to get back to work and to be and to go to school is crucial and yeah. you see the people like oh my god i'm back i'm normal again you know yeah yeah Wow. And it's, 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 it's phenomenal watching. And some people, it's a case of they, they started off with no occupational structure. So somebody who was in the room, they were a bit of a shut in. They only played on their computer. And then it's like suddenly they're faced with someone like me. And it's like, what do you want to be? And they go. Mm. And then that 
and some that's when I go back and I do a bit of digging around and find out mm. where they were at before. What did you want to be? What are you into? What do you like doing? Why do you like computer games? Why do you like that kind of computer games? And then we start to build a picture and then we find a hook, what I call a hook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I find that hook. I mean, one one of my young lads, um, his uh, we have care coordination in the UK um, where you look after somebody and you look after everything. From social stuff to finances to education to work to family work, all of it. But I was called in by the care coordinator um, and she said, I don't get him. I don't understand this lad. I don't I don't get it. I don't get him. I just don't get it. And she says, Can you she said you're the geek whisperer? And I went, Really? <laughs> and I went out and this young guy um was into writing narratives. And drawing. Now, where it ended up with a bit of work and a bit of work on his um, anxiety and his social anxiety, I first of all, I took him to Forbidden Planet. I don't know if you have that in the States. Um, it's a bit like a mecca of comic books and geek memorabilia. Basically, it's a comic book store. And I took him there and I said, I'm going to introduce you back to your people. This is your tribe. And he wow. was like, the difference. And then he, we, we took him down to the, I took him down to the college. We got him signed up and he did a course for three years in computer games design. And mm. uh, he was looking at opening a business. Oh and God. that young man never relapsed. And he wow. was considered, he's going to be on Clauserill. That's what they thought. This is it. He's, right. But look at you. You can, so. I can just tell, look, your warmth is exuding. Seriously, out of there, and you know, one of the, my one of my colleagues was very similar to you. Just this really warm person who was able to connect with people, and a lot of times, like therapists, right? People who've like gone to school for therapy. There's a different way that that they approach things, and I myself okay. fell into that trap. And yeah. you have that just natural warmth and ability to connect with people that is, is joyful and just, you're welcome. And just, I can just hear the way and see the way you're talking about this particular guy. And it's like, I can feel it. And it's like, right. He was, this was a guy who was going to be on these crazy drugs and granted they serve a purpose for certain people. Right. But for not everyone. Right. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a question. Do you w- currently are you working on a multidisciplinary team with with psychologists and therapists, or you are okay? Yeah, um, our team now we have um, CPNs, which is community psychiatric nurses. So that's nurses. So we've got nursing staff. We've got a social worker who's embedded within our team. Okay. We have myself, our occupational therapist. There is another occupational therapist, but she's our deputy manager and she doesn't, she, she's like, leave that to Tracy. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. Please leave that to Tracy. Um, we also have support workers and we have a CBTP therapist, that's cognitive behavioral therapist for psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a psychologist as well. I'm trying to think if we've got anybody else. And we have nurse prescribers. All of us, except the psychologists, all of us care coordinate. So we all have a role with a group of patients, 15, 
usually. I have a slightly reduced caseload because of my other responsibilities. And we look after everything. So, But I tend to pick, it sounds awful, the ones with the highest occupational needs end mm-hmm. up with me. And we swap them around a little bit if required. But yeah, you have a central worker, but then you can have an occupational therapist. You've got psychologists coming in. And we are very much bound by the NCAP in the UK. We have to um, make sure that somebody's offered Clozaril at the right time if they need it. We have to make sure they're offered cognitive behavioural therapy for psychosis within three years. And we've got a lot of standards in the UK that we have to abide by. And vocational, occupational therapy and vocational work is my res- one of my responsibilities to make sure okay. that everybody has that. So, so you, you have, uh, you know, a, a lot of experience under your belt. What would you say to, to the newer therapists out there who maybe aren't even familiar with this part? I mean, a lot of people aren't familiar with early psychosis. As you said, this is a cutting edge kind of uh, specialization topic right now. Um, you know, people are, we're learning more and more about it, but a lot of people aren't familiar with the early signs, the early symptoms, but what would you say to newer therapists uh, that maybe, you know, you might be working with? Okay. This is what I do say. (laughs) This is what I say to our students and new staff. Don't be scared of the jargon. I've been working in this for 10 years. My manager, uh, she's 11 years in psychosis early intervention we have very very well oiled wheels of process um do not think for a minute that you are going to know all of this in the first month in fact if i came into work and it's not a school day and i'm not learning something it's time for me to retire So it's like everything's a constant, you're constantly learning. And sometimes, especially with psychosis, and this is is how I describe it to my students and new people, just when you think you've got what psychosis is and you go to grab it and think, I've got it, I understand, it disappears like smoke. It just goes. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's because there is so much crossover between emotionally unstable or borderline personality disorder as we depending on ICD-10 or DSM um, there's also huge overlaps with histrionic you've got loads of schizotypal um, and you've got schizotypal is one of our at-risk mental states if you've got a schizotypal diagnosis and then you get a drop in function you will then come under our team because you're considered mm-hmm. an at-risk mental state because you can go into full psychosis but yet and it's getting hold of all those things. And it's like, don't feel that you have to know everything about psychosis. Listen, learn. Don't be scared to say, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was that? It took me such a long time to work out the difference between positive and negative symptoms. And it's mm-hmm. one of the most basic, basic parts of it. And mm-hmm. we've got ways of teaching that. So a positive symptom is things that are added. So positive addition things that are added to normal experience, so voices, delusions, bizarre beliefs, tactile hallucinations, hallucinations generally, whereas negative symptoms are things that are taken away or subtracted from our normal experience. So motivation, wanting to go out in the world, appetite, sex drive, all of that 
and it's like working out it's that very basic but never as a new person coming into it it's like don't feel you have to know it all because you don't you just need to believe that these people can get better and they can I've got young people that I treated seven years ago who have been married had children gone to university done a master's degree aren't on medication they are living a full and wonderful life and it's like seriously it's exciting to see, yeah, people yeah. do get better. And we would also, I would often tell my clients that it, and it's not going to be a straight line up, you know, yeah. oftentimes it's, up, you know, but yeah. if they came and they did the work and they were committed to the program and the groups, et cetera, people, most, if not all people definitely got better. You yeah. know, when I, when I first started in, in that field, in that job, I um, was kind of fresh out of school newly minted with my degree and I felt like I needed to have all the answers, right? I felt that, you know, therapy was going to do it and it really, I kind of needed the rug pulled out from under me and to really get what you're talking about and, and kind of what's emanating from you, which is this warmth and this, the power of, you know, belonging and relationship, Talk a little bit about that and really your personal story getting that. Because when you got into this field, were you like this, this, Ah, the way you are? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, It was actually my, my, my husband, now ex-husband, who's an occupational therapist. He, he had not long qualified and I was working in an OT department in physical and physical medicine. And he sort of went, you have that thing. You have this thing. I had no idea what he was on about. I still, to a certain degree, don't. Um, but he said, you need a rubber stamp. You need to go and get a qualification so that you mm-hmm. rubber stamp what you can do for people because nobody will let you do it otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did. Um, I did my psychology degree part-time while my babies were little her now in the 20s um and I did that and then I did my occupational therapy degree because all I wanted to do was treat people I just wanted to be a person that dealt with people with mental health problems and that was the cheapest way for me to do it because I couldn't afford to do my PhD or my clinical doctorate so that's what I did and that's why I'm an occupational therapist (laughs) but yeah um, I've always had that and it's strange actually because um, a very very close friend of mine actually said to me about I actually thought the way you are with people was because of your training and he said I don't think it is is it and I went mm-hmm. maybe not he says you've always mm-hmm. been like that and I was mm-hmm. like mm, okay maybe yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's that it's really Tracy it's, it's that quality that I think so many I don't not every but a lot of therapists suppress, you know, because they think that it's this other, all the techniques and the interventions that are so vitally important that are going to do the trick. And yes, those have their value, but it's being able to, I mean, you can just see you're just so genuine and authentic and being able to translate that when you're sitting in front of someone who potentially could be scary, who you know, could be psychotic or experiencing certain symptoms, that's not easy to do, you know, to be able to be present with someone who's experiencing those symptoms. Yeah. 
at the end of the day, nobody really wants to hurt anyone. And I, I believe this in my absolute core. Fear is a response to anxiety. Um, and anger is a response to fear. And if you're getting anger, it's because somebody's frightened. And if we can actually just engage a softer tone of voice, step back, give them space. And it's all that polyvagal, all that mm-hmm. polyvagal stuff that we talk about, which is amazing. And I, I don't have all the terminology. I know I do it, but I'm like, oh, I do that. I do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's clever. Um, but it's amazing because that's neurological. And it's like, as long as you can sit with somebody and sit in, I mean, and this, it's one of the things that you actually ask on the list of questions. It's like a go-to quote. And I don't know where this quote came from, but it's like sometimes when you're in the darkness, you don't want somebody to rescue you from the darkness. You just want somebody who's going to be okay to sit in it with you Mm. and to just hear you. And that's sometimes all we can do because I can't make it better Mm-hmm. But I can certainly sit there so they're not on their own. Mm. And then it's like, there's hope. Now that you're ready to listen, now that you can hear me, let's let's talk about the hope. Let's talk about other people that have come through this. You when, know. You first, when you first started, did you get that? I think so. Okay. It was probably... So you're, you're one of those people who got it right away. <laughs> I don't think I was as, oh, it's difficult. I'm, I seem to go the, the other way. The other way, it, it's almost like sometimes I doubt myself now because I don't have a master's degree in cognitive behavioral therapy because I haven't um, got my master's degree in, in, in sensory integration. And it's like, I don't need them. I just need those tools. I need the tools and I need the understanding. And I need to know when I can and when I can't. That, I think, is the the bit. It's knowing when and when not to do something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But generally, what I tend to do is, it's like, when I've got somebody in front of me, it seems so obvious. I had, we have a community in the UK that are travellers. Um, and they, they travel around and they don't live in houses, they live in caravans and on sites and they, they tend to get a, bit, a very bad bit reputation um, and they, they can be quite difficult to deal with. They have a very different culture and a lot of them aren't educated, they don't read, they don't speak, they're pulled out of school when they're about nine um, and we have quite a lot of these young people that become psychotic and very difficult to manage. Um, and I've actually got one who's an OT client of mine. I, I don't care, coordinate them. And I remember doing the OT assessment and I went through, so what do you like doing? And, and you know, what, what things do you do around the house? And what things do you do around the site? And I built a picture. And when I fed back to him, I said, he, he is so clever. He is so, so smart, so smart. He watches documentaries on Netflix. And he he gets frustrated because when he wants to watch one that isn't in English, he has to put the subtitles up and he can't read them. So he's constantly waking his girlfriend up who luckily can read a little. Mm -hmm. So basically one of my main objectives when I go back to work, um, hopefully soon, will be that actually I can't get anybody to teach this lad to read. 
So I've actually found a whole load of resources and I'm going to do it. Just little bits and then teach his girlfriend how to teach him. And it's, and and you've got an in because he's, oh, he's crazy smart. He's crazy Mm -hmm. smart. And it's Mm -hmm. like, all you're lacking is to be able to read. Right, right. <laughs> you know, Look, and you—you you are a breath of fresh air, man. You're—you're you're just so uh, 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 your 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 joy and your passion for this work is just so infectious, and I just love talking to you. Thank you, sincerely. Um, how about as we wind down here? How about a go-to book recommendation, whether OT related or trauma related or early psychosis related or not? Right. This is actually by a lady. I don't know if you'll have heard of her in the States, but I recommend everybody, anybody interested in trauma, must read this woman. She's got a podcast. She is phenomenal. Her name is Carolyn Spring. And it's Carolyn's... Carolyn Spring, okay. and she she has a, a couple of books. You can get them on Amazon. You can even get them as audio books. The first one that I read was called Unshame, um, and she's got she's got several others. They'll come up on Amazon, and the other one is called Recovery is My Best Revenge. Um, she is an absolute inspiration, and. As she's 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 from the UK, we don't have a lot. I mean, we've got you over there in the States, which is amazing. And I listen to you and a lot of my colleagues are starting to too. But actually to get somebody who's British, right. rare, very, very rare. And she oh. is amazing. She actually had a diagnosis of DID, Dissociated Identity Disorder, secondary to um, lots and lots of uh, abuse in childhood. Um, and she has recovered. She has recovered and she is a leading light in this country. Um, and she is phenomenal, phenomenal, very, very British, very, very matter of fact. Uh-huh, I love uh-huh. it. I love her. She is really good. She has a podcast too. Um, a lot of the, the we have an a, a agency here called Rosa, which is um, to do with rape and sexual assault. It's, a, it's charity based um, and they have an amazing program and everything they do is based on her work. Wow. And to awesome. be honest, to be honest, I'm quite jealous of being in the NHS that their stuff is better mm. than what we can do. Because we're so bound by right. bound by all these, um, you must have this qualification and these letters after your name, and and it's like I've got the letters after my name. Can you just let me treat my patients, please? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's phenomenal, phenomenal work. So she is awesome. amazing. I'll definitely check her out. Well, look, I would love to have you back at some point. Um, I just really love talking to you and love to have your energy infuse this podcast. So okay, um, no problem. Tracy, awesome speaking speaking to you. And thanks again so, for coming on here. Thank you for letting me come on. All right. Take <laughs> thank care. You. Okay. Bye. Once again, thank you to Somatic Experiencing for sponsoring this podcast. Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to resolving trauma worldwide by providing professional training and education in somatic experiencing. It was founded by Dr. Peter Levine, author of the bestseller Waking the Tiger, who developed somatic experiencing based on explorations of how animals deal with threat, nervous system overwhelm, and traumatic experiences on a daily basis. Learn more about somatic experiencing and the SE professional training program at traumahealing.org forward slash TTP. That's traumahealing.org forward slash TTP. 
It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.